0: Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scott. I'm John Cole and this week we'll be talking with James Dolman, the award winning court reporter who famously covered the Tommy Sheridan trial and who has been following in the footsteps of the very busy Rangers vs the rest of the world litigation. James is now a member of the Byline team, an online crowdfunded news service and he will be telling us a bit about Byline also. James will also be keeping us up to speed with that Rangers litigation as well as explaining the limitations and frustrations of the job of keeping a watchful eye on the process of justice. The first silverware of the season is now resting in a sideboard in the Celtic boardroom after Sunday's league cup final against Aberdeen. Where Celtic defeated the Dons by 3 goals to nil and congratulations to them on their win. A surprisingly one-sided contest, Celtic fans and players and their manager Brendan Rodgers will be delighted to reach Major Trophy number 100. By contrast, the Dons will be wondering why their team underperformed on the day. Did they freeze in the cup final spotlight or was it just a bad day at the office? Who knows? But the positives for Aberdeen are that they surely won't have too long to wait before they have the opportunity to make amends. For Celtic, despite another ho- European home defeat in midweek, this time a respectable 0-2 reverse at the hands of Barcelona, the positives are stacking up. Qualify for the Champions League? Check. Take an early lead in the Championship? Check. Win the first available trophy? Check. Make tangible and visible progress on the field? Check. While Celtic and Aberdeen had the day off to tussle for the cup, Rangers found their way back to second spot after a remarkable and impressive win from a losing position with 10 minutes left, again at Partick Thistle, who underlined the point made by our guest from last week, Alan Nixon, when he commented on the alarming number of late goals the Jags were conceding. An equally impressive Hearts Blue, Mark McGee's mother will away at tiny with a 3-0 win. Reading them for a showdown with the Ibrooks Club in Glasgow on Wednesday evening. That tie is certainly shaping up now as a litmus test for both of those sides. The other four sides involved in league duty at the weekend were all from the bottom six, with Dundee getting the better out of Inverness at Dens and Ross County and Hamilton sharing the points and two goals in Dingwall. And speaking of Rangers, their AGM was a pretty low-key affair with the only real uncertainty that surrounding the resolution seeking to disapply preemption rights which will give the board a green light to issue new shares remaining unresolved until votes are counted next week. In fact, apart from the usual self-congratulatory we-are-so-great-and-you-are-so-fantastic rhetoric which is a feature of these rally-the-troops occasions the message from Dave King was very low-key His assertion that building a team capable of challenging for the title is a long-term affair was a surprise. His admission that on-field progress is disappointing and that they had previously been over-optimistic about the capability of the side was a welcome reality check as well as a sensible if belated, attempt at managing unrealistic expectations. The future of Rangers though will very much be determined by the outcome of the upcoming court cases and the winter court season is about to begin in earnest. It might be true to say that so far the various legal teams operating in behalf of the Ibrooks club have a better strike rate than Mark Warburton and his team. Some courtroom observations coming up from James Dolman in a couple of minutes. But first a wee word about Rangers, the football team. We often discuss the issue of old club, new club when we speak of Rangers. Legally there really isn't any sensible argument other than new club of course. But the last two weeks have demonstrated that Mark Warburton's side are imbued with a very Rangers-like refusal to settle for anything less than a win. Two weeks in a row in league business, the Ibrook side have snatched victory at the death and gained an extra five points that would not otherwise have been on their league table tally. The belief that they are Rangers, or even the spiritual heirs to the Rangers' legacy, is undoubtedly worth something, and perhaps at the end of the season, even more than five points. Who knows? Celtic Rangers have always had a reputation for playing for each of the 90 minutes and scoring barrel loads of late goals. Maybe the question others need to ask themselves is this, would we have won those extra five points in the same situation or would we have settled for a draw in the manner of Dundee and Partick Thistle? Mark Warburton has recently endured a period of extreme criticism and I think it's only fair to give and his players credit for knowing how to maximise their return these past two weeks. James Dolman has achieved no little fame over the past few years. His novel online coverage of the Tommy Sheridan trial helped to create a new paradigm for reportage of court cases and indeed helped to make the mechanism of justice more accessible and popular with the public. He did the same recently with his coverage of the fake shake trial in London, the latest in a series of trials he covered on press misconduct involving phone hacking. James has also reported at length in many of the legal battles that Rangers have become embroiled in over the past couple of years, attracting much praise and criticism on social media. He is getting ready to cover yet another of those cases and he took time out this week to talk to me about his work, his involvement with Byline, an alternative news organisation that he's involved with, and his passion for bringing the process of justice to the public. Uh, James, thanks first of all for uh, for joining us in TWM, uh, thanks for talking to us and uh, giving up your time. I spoke a wee bit in the intro about Byline, but can you tell us a wee bit more about it, you know, what, what its aims are, what, it, what it's all about?
1: Sure, well, um, the idea behind Byline um, is that we are looking for a way to get journalists paid, as you know, there's a real problem in journalism at the moment where especially for freelancers that are expected to do things just for prestige, which is fine until you try and pay your rent with prestige, which doesn't work particularly well. So the behind Byline, it gives people a platform to crowdfund and publish in one place. And really the aim behind Byline, the slogan is nothing between me and you and the news. So it allows readers who like a particular journalist to donate to that journalist, to give them some money, whether on a regular basis or as a one-off. And really our aim is to make journalism pay again, to give people a way to break into journalism and
0: also to be paid for it as well. Moving on to more specifically what what it is that you're doing within the 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 byline framework and elsewhere, of course, uh, is is this uh, new found well certainly new discovered from my point of view out of court reporting. I know that some of the guys uh, who you'll know who are, who are on SFM who turn up. At, uh, at court dates and, and they tell me about all sorts of uh, problems related to that uh, of course it's it's also from their point of view very interesting and very compelling but what gave you an interest in doing that particular thing?
1: Um, I really fell into it, it was, um, I, I lived in New Zealand for a while when I came back I wasn't working for a bit and Tommy Sheridan's trial started in 2010 so I thought well I'll go along and you know maybe make some notes and someone, it was actually my goddaughter who was 12 at the time said why don't you put your notes on the internet? People may be interested in them. So that's how it really started. I started putting my notes on the internet. People started reading them. The blog got a little bit of a reputation. More and more people read it. And that's really how I got into it, uh, was via that. And that sort of made me a bit of an expert on phone hacking, because Tommy Sheridan's trial was really the first trial that involved the news of the world in phone hacking. So I was commissioned by a magazine called The Drum, uh, along with Angela Haggerty, I'm sure you know, and we covered the phone hacking trial together, the big, long trial with Rebecca Brooks and Andy Kilson, And that was a real learning experience for me. That really taught me, working at the Old Bailey, watching the other reporters, watching how they did it. And really, that was my apprenticeship, was that eight months at the Old Bailey. So pretty much fell into it almost. But um, it's something I really, really enjoy, you know.
0: There really is a, a steep learning curve involved in it as well. I'm wondering if the real skill, uh, other than journalistic skills, of course, but the, the maybe a unique skill that's required... To be able to do that is to actually be able to make sense of what's going on. It
1: really depends. I mean, I'll say two things about it. Firstly, it, in a sense, it's the easiest form of reporting there is. I mean, you don't have to run around and find courts. You go and you sit in a big room, and everything everything happens in front of you. So, in that sense, you don't. It's quite an easy form of reporting. You sit there, and it happens. Also, trials are by their very nature very dramatic. I mean, there's two sides. It's you know, it's almost made for drama. Uh, a trial. And, of course, the other issue with it is you have a thing called absolute privilege in court reporting. So anything that's said in court within certain limitations to do with ages and things can be reported. So you know you don't have to worry about libel. You don't have to worry about those sorts of you know, the things normal journalists have to worry about all the time. Because if it's said in a court, it can be reported. In terms of the difficult stuff, I mean, I've got a terrible habit. I just walk up and ask people. If I don't understand something, I'll go up to a, a barrister or a QC and say, I really have no idea what you were talking about there. And most people are kind enough to explain things to you and help you out. So, really, I think the key job in, in in any form of reporting, but especially court reporting, is if you don't understand something, just go ask someone. And people are generally kind enough to explain it to you.
0: One of our guys, John Clark, uh, who who I'm sure you know, said to me that that, that quite often, that if if in a in a criminal case, he said it, it's a lot easier to follow because the you know the charges are read out, there are witnesses who you can hear speaking. But I would, but perhaps in a civil case Maybe there's a lot of legal chat Between barristers or QCs And the judges And some of them tend to mumble a wee bit And they, they quote precedent That nobody knows anything about You know that kind of thing So does that give you um, Maybe some extra work In terms of having to go do research To find out what, what case precedents They're talking about
1: Absolutely I mean a criminal case is obviously easier Because there's a jury So they're explaining it to, Everything has to be explained to the jury Who are like us lay people Civil cases can be more complex. But again, I think, it's, and I know John very well, I mean, he does the right thing, which is if you understand a case properly, you don't need to know all the ins and outs and the details of precedent. You know, you just need to know what what are the key, maybe five or six issues in every case, and then listen out for what's said that's relevant to them. Certainly when you live tweet, I mean, I've got a colleague, Peter Dukes, and he live tweets everything. When he tweets, he tweets almost every word that's said in court. I don't do that. I try and pick it what I think are the most key or most interesting elements. And, and as I said, it's just about doing your reading beforehand, having a good idea of what the case is about. You know, and again, if you don't understand what I'm asking people.
0: Is the social media, we're just going to come to that, actually, because you're talking about tweeting. And, and I think social media has obviously had a big impact in, in, in that side of things as well. Do you think the courts resent the, the, the scrutiny that, that social media brings?
1: There's a real difference between England and Scotland. I mean, a huge difference. You see the difference all the time. In England, anyone who's a a registered journalist or a registered journalist can tweet. It's as simple as that, we we don't even ask, we just go and start doing it. In Scotland we have to ask permission to live tweet from court, whether we have to ask the judge at the start of the trial or apply beforehand. So there is an element, that there's a lot of fear around it amongst amongst some in the legal profession. Some people are catching on and understanding the importance of it, but there is a degree of fear like, my god, who are these people just showing up and, and tweeting on this sort of stuff? I think it's breaking down a bit. I think people are starting to see the value of it. Certainly the last case I did in London, uh, the case of Mazeera Mahmood, uh, the fake shake, there was a lot of real acceptance in the court that They were live-tweeting, and the barristers sort of were getting it. But I think Scotland's maybe five years behind England in this. We still have to go through quite a few hoops. And all it takes is one party in the case to object, and that's, we can't do it. Quite a comical case, not that long ago, where I was actually I asked a sheriff if I could live-tweet, and he said, not only could I not live-tweet, I couldn't take notes. In a trial so you know in Scotland quite a way behind at the moment
0: do you think that's just a wee bit of petulance in, in, in behalf of the legal profession to some extent that, that maybe because it's something they don't understand then they, they are just mistrustful of, I mean you know that of course it isn't only the legal profession who stand accused of those kind of things
1: I think it's part of the I mean it's the key element in all legal reporting is you don't want to influence the trial you don't want everyone has a right to a fair trial no matter who they are and there is a fear that it, what we tweet could affect an accused rights. For example, say I tweeted out which of course I wouldn't do, but it's possible someone would a previous conviction that a defendant had and a juror happened to read that. You know, that that could cause real difficulties in a trial. So there is that worry and it's understandable there's concerns and worries. What we as the people who are doing it have to show is that we are responsible and we are you know, we do take it we take it really seriously that everyone deserves a fair trial and it's very important you never put anything out there that could affect someone's rights, you know. So there's a legitimate concern, but I think in some ways it's a little bit overblown at times.
0: Have you ever had any clashes or, or, or any cause to have clashes with uh, authority over the, the 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 way that you do your business?
1: Um, yes, uh, the, the the case I previously mentioned uh, was to do with the don't remember the Rangers Wi-Fi case. And um, they were very very upset I was even being there. It was, it was a very small court, the sheriff court, and I mean I was actually told to wait behind to speak to the sheriff about it after the case was completed. Um, Again, it does happen, but I think it's a degree of... Some of the... And it seems to be strangely inverted. In some ways, the higher the court is, the more accepting they are of it. You mainly get problems in the lower courts. Um, One of my colleagues went to an immigration tribunal not that long ago, and they tried to throw him out. Even though he was an accredited journalist, you're not allowed in here. But it's important that we keep stressing the idea that all courts are public, and they're public for a very important reason, so judges and the legal system can be held to account. It's important you just constantly stress that with them. You know, it's, it's everybody's right to go to court, it's everybody's right to, go to report what happens in court, and it's vital, it's vital to our democracy that it's reported. So I think once you build it, I mean, I've got a reasonably good reputation now in the legal system, I don't run into too many problems, but yeah, it does happen from time to time.
0: I think that the Rangers case, I mean, they've been involved in all sorts of legal stuff over the past couple of years. No question about that. And there's also no question that the interest among football fans is all of a sudden peaked, whereas perhaps previously they wouldn't have been quite so interested. Does the Rangers case give you any particular problems with Rangers fans or with other journalists or even special problems with the people in the court, court officials?
1: No, not with the officials. Obviously you do, as anyone, and I'm sure you know this yourself, anyone who writes about the old firm um, gets abuse. You know, I often sit with Grant Russell from STV when we're tweeting together, and it's quite funny because Grant's getting a stream of abuse from Celtic supporters on his feed, and I'm getting a stream of abuse from Rangers supporters on my feed, exactly, even though we're both reporting exactly the same event. In <laughs> fact, I joked with Grant once we should swap phones and see if anyone notices. It's just It just goes with the territory. But I think the interest, as you know, it's been a... I think the biggest sporting story of my lifetime has been the, the whole the, the collapse of Rangers and the rebuilding of Rangers and the consistent legal issues that are going on around it. And it's dead important that people know about it. You know, it's, people should know what's going on. It shouldn't be a, a mystery, if you like. But certainly that's that's really the only issue. I've never had any problem with any other journalists or any specific problem with court officials about it. That's never happened.
0: Do you think the, 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 the court people are equally nervous Because of the the, the heightened interest Because it, because it happens to be rangers as well And especially because of the the sort of, well, I suppose to some extent The dark underbelly that exposes a Scottish society
1: Possibly, I mean I think that they, they have to be very careful But these are, certainly in the higher courts These are very measured people They're used to dealing with controversial cases all the time Where you can run any, where you see a bit of nervousness Is in some of the lower courts Things are going through, but at the highest level, at the court session level or in the high court and again, a lot of the stuff I do is in the high court in England, but they really don't know what range there is particularly to them. It's just another case. So really the only issue would be the social media one for me in terms of abuse, and, and that's what Twitter has got a mute button for, you know, to stop that happening. And to be honest, I don't see 90% of any more because the, the usual suspects are all, are all blocked in my Twitter feed, so I never even see any more anyway.
0: You think you think that the, the the Rangers situation because of the the, the way I mean I, I suppose I, mean, I suppose the Sheridan case probably comes into this category as well that it might get people interested in what's happening in court who otherwise perhaps wouldn't be but now that people are starting to wake up to say oh, wait, wait a minute the courts are accessible they they are open to us and that and that maybe in general the population might take a you know an even greater interest in what goes on in 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 many cases not just the popular ones like this.
1: Something I believe it very strongly is uh, open justice, This idea that justice should be open. The real issue is for newspapers today, there used to always be dedicated to court correspondents, people who sat in court and did cases constantly. Now, for example, Glasgow Sheriff Court is covered by one journalist, just one, mm. for the vast majority of cases. It's, it's not economic for a newspaper now, with resources going down, to have a journalist sitting in a court all day. I mean, most magazines and newspapers would ask you to do as a journalist three or four stories a day. And you obviously, if you're sitting in a court, you can't. You can only maybe do one a day. So it is a real problem. And it is, I think, good that there's now more citizen journalists coming out, eh, people at Jaw and other people going along with these things and reporting them back. Perhaps that's the, you know that's something we believe quite strongly in byline as well, that we encourage more people to report on more issues because we can't unfortunately rely on the press to do the job they used to do, which isn't their fault. It's merely a matter of resources. So hopefully some citizen journalists can step in to the gap where you like and try and fill some
0: of that. I suppose that the heightened interest is, is something that certainly, I suppose it helps you in terms of being able to follow your muse, so to speak, because it, because it is something that you love doing. But given the those lack of resources within the, the mainstream media themselves, it means you can pretty much cherry pick the stuff that you cover as well. Does that give you greater freedom to be able to pursue your own interests in that regard?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, the thing about crowdfunding is it does allow me to sort of go, well, I think this is an interesting case. And obviously it relies on other people. It relies on people agreeing with you that it's interesting. You know, that's yeah. something we want to cover, that's something we want to do. I mean, I do go to courts quite a lot and don't report on certain things. Uh, you know, because I just go along and sort of, like, keep my hand in and see what's interesting going on. But it's very much led by the readers. If a reader likes something and says, "Oh, I'm willing to put a couple of pounds in to read about that, then it gets covered, you know. So it's it's very much re- almost reversing the old rule where the media put out what they thought you wanted, and people passively absorbed it. It's now much more of a two-way process. Yeah. The great thing I love is when I'm covering a case, whether it's a Rangers case or a, a press misconduct case, the feedback you get is excellent. I mean, lots of people email me with information that I didn't have, and things that I didn't know, or I get criticism and a lot of time I go, well, that's actually a really good point. Sometimes people send me criticism and I think, well, they're absolutely right about that. So to me, it's always a learning curve and what I value most is interacting with readers because they're the ones that feedback. That's what keeps me on my toes. And, and often, as I said, helps me a great deal on
0: what I'm trying to do. And a lot of these cases uh, recently, and again, I suppose because I'm uh, kind of new to the, you know, the whole concept, it seems strange to me that there are so many reporting restrictions. Now, I, I don't know whether that's maybe... Uh, something that's that's unique or or relatively unique to the the sort of cases that we've been covering in SFM, or whether that's a normal thing. But in either way, in either case, it it must be really frustrating if you're sitting there all day and you can't tell anybody about it. I, I think
1: that to be honest, I think ninety percent of report restrictions are justified. I take the example of Craig White. At some point, it looks like Mister White's going to face a jury. Now, if that jury has heard lots of legal argument and discussion, they may be influenced. They, they may not be able to go and sit there and objectively analyse what's put in front of them. So to be honest, I think most reports... Very rarely I've seen a report on restriction I think, well, there's no justification for that. Mm. In general, they are justified and they're right. Instead, it all goes back to what I said earlier. Everyone's got a right to fair trial. Everyone's got a right to a jury that hasn't been pre-biased, if you like, before the case began. So, yes, there's restrictions, but again, most of the time I agree with them. I think absolutely justified. For example, I was at um, Thomas Mayer, the man who killed Joe Cox. I was at his pre-trial in London and none of that could be reported. None Mm -hmm. of the pretrial stuff could be reported. And I think that was right, because even someone like Thomas Mayer deserves a fair trial. He deserves a jury who are fresh to it, who hear the evidence in court and come to a a justification, a decision. So, as I said, the other restrictions, but I think it's important you stick to them, and 90% of the time they're absolutely justified.
0: Maybe you should tell Louise Mensch about that then. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well was a Miss in America, so I don't think she's going to be, be dragged back to Britain anytime soon. But again, I mean, Louise Mencia is someone who is absolutely ignorant about the court process. It's quite shocking how ignorant she is about the process and but pontificates on it,
0: but. That's free speech and that's democracy, you know, and that's what Indeed. people can do. And and speaking about you exercising your own speech, free speech here, would you say that your time that you've been in courts that, that your your opinion of the of the legal profession has been enhanced or diminished or is it just about the same as it where you started?
1: I think enhanced. I mean I think that I mean certainly at the top level, these are really, really smart men and women. I mean extremely smart men and women and you know, um, I remember when Andrew Coulson's case, he was tried for perjury yeah. in Scotland and, and he's, he's to put an argument forward at pre-trial that it wasn't perjury because, OK, he may have lied, but it wasn't relevant to the case. And I actually burst out laughing because I thought, well, anyone who lies in court is perjury, isn't it? It turns out it's not.
0: Oh.
1: It has to be relevant to the, to the case. And so, yeah, I think they're, in general, a very smart and honest bunch of people, you know, and, and a lot of the time you sit back and think, wow, these guys
0: are the ball you know, they're really really clever and really know what they're doing you know? The situation that's coming up with Rangers I mean I think that, that pretty much all that's left now as far as the, the big so-called fraud code trial is, is Craig White himself and that looks as if it's it's about to resolve itself very very soon are you going to be covering that?
1: You know it's, um, at the moment we've got a date for April uh, in which that case is due to commence um, obviously can't say too much about it uh, for the reasons sort of outline and stuff but yeah at the moment, the date, the date set for that is April, and it's scheduled for around about four or five months. So that should be a fascinating case. And it'll be interesting to hear. I think with Craig White, it's probably one of the most liked and reviled man in Scottish football history. So <laughs> we might at last hear Mr White's first events, which we've never heard. We've never actually heard what his justification, his defence is. No.
0: But
1: I think it'll be fascinating. And, and a lot of the key players may well be giving evidence. People like David Murray, who's um, very involved in it, will be hearing from perhaps people with Ticketus and stuff. So I think it's going to give a real insight to what happened round about the the bankruptcy of Rangers. You know, we should at last, I think, get a much better overview of what went on. So yeah, that's one I'm very much looking forward
0: to. Given the ever-diminishing list of accused in in, in that trial, do you think it actually will get to the the stage where there'll be a jury sitting in a box uh, here in Evans?
1: Um, at the moment it's scheduled, i mean that's all we can say um it's scheduled um, there's an indictment um so I don't see any reason why not unless Mr White changes his plea to guilty I think it's almost certain to go
0: ahead and what about the civil stuff coming up uh, as far as ranges I mean of course this long running battle that they appear to be embroiled in with the owners of, uh, of Sports Direct just seems to be I mean I don't know to, to, from my point of view certainly from a lay point of view it, it looks as if what they should be doing is is you know trying to have a powwow with this guy and, and make, make some peace but it just seems to me that it's going on and on and on good for you perhaps uh, in, in your profession but is it good for, for Rangers,
1: do you think? I, I don't think being tied up in court is good for anyone. It's expensive, it costs uncertainty and things. It's obviously not good for... I mean, the whole commercial situation with Rangers retail, which is what the, the case on uh, next week is about, is another round of um, arguments about the retail gaming, which is confidential. We can't talk about it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not good for anyone at the moment. I don't think it's good for Scottish football either. that that this has all been dragged out and played out in the courts. But it almost seems that, you know, that neither side wants to blink. And Mr. King's comments at the Rangers AGM pretty much suggested that he's not going to blink. Mike Ashley is not the sort of person who who gives up. He's got a reputation to uphold. Even though, in terms of Ashley's empire, there's not a great deal of money involved, Mm -hmm. you know, for his point of view. But again, it's a matter for his reputation. He doesn't want to seem to be weak or taken over. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in... um, next week but I don't think it'll be the last case by any I means in terms of the commercial stuff I think it's, it's an overture if you like there's a lot a lot of more issues to be dealt with
0: than that. Well it's funny because that, that was the the—the the question I was going to ask you next was that, that, that David Lowe said to me last year that he didn't think this would be over by 2019 do you think that that's still a fair assessment of, of, of where it's at or, or do you think maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get the decks cleared before then?
1: Well I mean it's, it's well known that the agreement has a seven year notice period yeah I think it's safe to say that it's been widely reported. So I don't see it ending before then. Um, I mean, the, the issue essentially is: is Rangers think the agreement's unfair? Sports directors saying, "Well, it's not the job of the courts. If you sign a bad agreement, say so you signed a bad. You bought a house for more than it was worth. It's not for the courts to protect you from that, mm-hmm. unless it was a fraud involved. If you make a mistake, it's a mistake. Someone else benefits commercially. Well, well done to them. That's the economic system under which we live. So I don't see this ending any time soon. But I, We'll see what happens next week But I think it's uh, I wouldn't disagree With David Woe's analysis That this has got a long Long way
0: around F- Finally just re- Talking about Something that you That you mentioned In, in your answer to the last question About, about Dave King's demeanour After after the AGM I really thought That he was uh, he, he was toning down The rhetoric a wee bit I know, I know you're saying about I'm still being fairly resolute About this the, About the Sports Direct thing But I don't think There's quite as much uh, That kind of tub thumping Going on As, as, as we've heard in the past
1: well, well, as you know, that, um, as you'll be aware, um, Mr. King has to be extremely careful what he says. It was only this time last year that Mike Harsley was trying to have him jailed uh, for breaching a confidentiality yeah. agreement. Um, that failed, um, quite rightly, I think, considering the sports direct lawyer's performance in court wasn't particularly stellar. But, you know, it's Mr. Dave King has to be extremely careful what he says because the confidentiality agreement's written into that, they were very, very strong. And as I said, he knew end ended up in jail, so... I didn't, I didn't get the impression he was backing off in any way. I think he was toning down the rhetoric a little bit, knowing that he's in court next week. But I don't think there's either side's looking like backing off at the moment. That may change. We all may walk into court on Thursday and they might stand up and say, we've come in agreement, it's over. That's always possible. But it's not something I would uh, bet the store on at the moment.
0: OK, what, what would you bet the store on in the in the, in the the Cup final this afternoon? And I, and I warn you before you make any predictions that um, that this is going out after the Cup final. So you could end up wagging your face. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pass that. <laughs> okay, enjoy the game anyway, uh, James. And uh, thanks very much for giving up your time today. No, it's been a pleasure. Nice to meet you, James Dolman. There, and thanks very much to Jamie for giving up his time just before the cup final on Sunday. Can I just make a point here at, uh, at this juncture that uh, two of our own number, John Clark and Easy Jambo have a long history of joining James Dolman on the the public benches at various court trials over the Rangers SAG over the past couple of years. And both John and Easy J have done a, a great deal of work for us and it's really, really appreciated. Sadly, from our point of view, when the next round of trials starts up very soon, John Clark will be in grandchild babysitting duty Somewhere in Australia And we ain't going to see him back here In these fair shores Until round about early spring I think So have a a great journey John Have a great holiday And uh, enjoy that babysitting And now, just before we go And just before we go I should say that just while we thought Everything was starting to calm down With the litigation surrounding rangers that even more has been added Duffin and Phelps apparently are now taking Strathclyde police to court for oh god I'm, I've lost the all to live. time to go thanks again to James Dolman and to all of you who have taken the time to be at one once again with T.W.M on sfm.scott bye for now